the Euros Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Di Clark. Welcome along. Italy imperious, Turkey roasted in Rome. A footballing feast on opening night at Mancini's men. A welcome back to international football's top table with a plum. While day two sees Bale and the boys look to recreate Wales' spirit of 2016. Here to get into all of that, we have football.london's chief football writer, Alan Smith, and sports feature editor at The Mirror, Mark Jones. Gentlemen, I hope you're both well. Alan, I'll, I'll come to you first up. And uh, what a treat it was, Italy running out 3-0 winners against Turkey. Um, yeah, I, beforehand I was expecting it to be pretty, not ugly, but you know, tight considering the defensive records of both teams in the run-up to the tournament. But, you know, Italy, first off, really good. Uh, Turkey, a massive disappointment. I know a lot of people were sort of painting them as these sort of potential dark horses because of that defensive stability and sort of a, a young core and there was the, you know, excitement about this future generation. But, you know, they've it seemed they completely froze um, last night. Italy, you know, I was... I was quite impressed and I do have I mean we're only one game in but I do have already the suspicion that they're going to go quite far in this in this tournament and I know we'll get into the other two teams in the group a little bit later but you know the, already because of the format of the competition it looks pretty clear that they're going to the knockout stages and because they're so defensively assured and I think going forward last night they showed a little bit more than a lot of people would have maybe expected um, so yeah, already pretty impressed. And I think yeah, I don't think anybody should be should be surprised if we see them sort of arriving in the lo- in London as part of the final four. Yeah, no, definitely. Obviously, they didn't even make it to Russia, Mark Italy, but and and first half they seem to have pretty much all well whole game they seem to have pretty much all of the ball, but didn't really look as though they had that cutting edge. But second half, after they got the first, it was then you sort of began to think how many is it going to be because Turkey were very. I suppose, deep in their defence, defending and just no real pace on the break to even try and launch any kind of counter. No, I mean, I think the thing that impressed probably most people watching was just how how patient Italy were, I thought. I thought, you know, you never, yes, they didn't score in the first half, but you knew it was coming, you know, and and, and it was a case of, you know, they, they never panicked. They never looked kind of as if they were going to try something stupid or, you know, rain in shots from distance or whatever. They, they just looked as though they knew that they were the better side. I think... Probably one of the things we're going to start seeing in the tournament is the fact that they had, they essentially had home advantage, obviously. So, so it kind of took on a, for me, it took on a feeling of like a, a qualifier, you know, in terms of the way they were they were just waiting, they were they knew they were going to win, you know, the likes of um, Jorginho in midfield. I know I know Alison talked about him, and he he was excellent. Uh, the fullbacks I thought of were very good, um, and then up you know up front you've got you've just got players who they don't panic, do they? You know, you look at Immobile and Senior, they 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 just they look to have. The experience and they look to have just just the know-how which as, as you say I mean, they weren't even in in the last world cup but they looked like a tournament team and they looked like a side who you know is it 27 28 games unbeaten now i think i read so they they just looked ready for this moment and i think the fact that they were at home had the, i was at sixteen thousand fans there um they'd looked as though they've been built for this moment and and mancini probably a manager who maybe a few of us wrote off probably a little bit prematurely, but he he looks um, he looks like he's got a real side there. Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking, actually, by the closing stages of the game, Alan, was even thinking, for example, clubs in London looking for managers or even Everton. Roberto Mancini seems to kind of have been disregarded, but the way he's picked Italy up and put together that side, played some absolutely wonderful football at times as well. He's certainly shown that he's a top-class manager still. 
The only thing is, I, I mean, I know this is a point a number of people have made over the past few days, but there's a difference now between club and international football. Um, and if you look at the, the 24 managers, um, well, you've got Martinez, Belgium, who's had sort of recent enough club experience. But apart from that, it's, you know, it is quite hard to find someone who's sort of crossed over and crossed back. And I know five years ago, you could make the opposite point regarding Conte um, at Italy, and then with the Italy ended up failing to reach the World Cup after he'd left. But it's such a different thing where, it, you know, the managers and head coaches now need a, a pretty different skill set um, without sort of like putting international football down is a bit more basic because purely because players don't have as much time together and therefore coaching staffs can't implement, you know, their their ideas, which often take, you know, at this sort of elite bubble, um, as we see from the chat about, you know, knockout rounds of the Champions League, it, the patterns of play, you know, these are things that are drilled into players over weeks and months. Um, in international football, you don't have that ability. So I think it then suits maybe a certain type of manager like Mancini. And, you know, it is kind of hard now to have any, you know, to, to criticise him in, in any way considering the job he has done in Italy. He's 28 games unbeaten. I know a lot of those 28 games probably against less opposition, but, you know, they've turned up on the big stage. Um, I'm sure expectation levels in Italy were really, really high. Um, and, you know, so far they've impressed pretty much everyone. Um, but I'm not sure that exactly translates back into to club football. Yeah, I suppose for Mancini as well, day-to-day -day there's more chance of combusting, isn't there? Whereas, as you say, the, yeah. the breaks in international football probably do him good, able to uh, yeah just drop those stress levels down. But aside from the, the football as well, Mark, we had the opening ceremony, Andrea Bocelli singing Lissandorma right at the start, and even a remote control car bringing the ball onto the pitch. Excellent, wasn't it? I mean, it's, I actually saw it, um, I watched the... The Wales friendly against France just before the tournament started, and I don't know whether that was a warm up for the for the car as well because it, it was there as well. So, right. so it was on there, and um, and they took a picture. I think it was Nico Williams that they they took a photo of the of the car standing next to Nico, and it was like, hang on, how tall is Nico Williams? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I, I hope it's there to stay. It's um, it, it, it and yeah, uh, and Andrea Bocelli obviously it brought back. Uh, Memories of Leicester's title win, didn't it? When he when he was there with um, Ranieri, so yeah, it, it kind of um, as I say, it, it it sort of took on this idea of it's an Italian tournament, you know, in, in terms of with him being there and the fact that he was in Rome. Um, obviously, everyone's going to be all around Europe for the rest of these games, but it real it it really kind of gave Italy and then the performance off the back of it, it gave an Italian stamp on it. And it served, I think, a bit of as as Alan says, it, it served a bit of a warning that that they're going to be there for for. You know, deep into the tournament. Yeah. No, can I definitely. just jump in and make? Yeah. Can I just jump in and make a quick point? I, I was quite interested by that. I actually mentioned it in the piece I wrote last night that you know the identity of this tournament, because it's split across eleven cities. I'm not exactly sure it will have that. You know, it, typically tournaments it becomes about the, the the culture of the host country. Um, and I think here we've been sort of obsessing over you know Euro '96 nostalgia. Um, yet last night you watch it and you're kind of like, oh, Italian '90. Um, because it's so split, I do wonder if we're going to like lose that part of sort of what a tournament has been about in the past because of the because of the fragmentation of the of the actual competition. Yeah, no, I thought uh, to be fair, and on sort of, uh, I I was intrigued to see what the opening ceremony was going to be like, as you say, because of that. But in fact, we we just had sort of Andrea Bocelli, which I suppose transcends anyway across 
um, the nations. And I think that I think the gimmick with the car, I think that's all good fun. It's the kind of thing in tournament football you do like to see. But in terms of back on the on the pitch, then Alan, in terms of that Italy midfield composition, we've been saying that even after watching them in one game, we wouldn't be surprised to see them reach the last four. A few people were saying that maybe they didn't have kind of a, a destroyer in that midfield three, but when they move the ball around like an ice hockey puck like they do. No one's getting close to them anyway for them to need that physicality. Um, yeah, I think like Jorginho stood out for me because even among, say, Chelsea fans, you know, a certain amount of them are still quite critical of him. He, you know, we we know what he's good at. We know what he's not so good at. He doesn't lack that. So he lacks, you know, top level speed. But then international football, where he's not being pressed as ferociously as he is in a typical uh, Premier League game, it, it suits him. Um, and it sort of allowed him to dictate the tempo from the very beginning. And I know there was a lot of focus on Immobile and Insigne um, at the end. But just the way he kept them ticking over it, and, and like Mark said a few minutes ago, it was the sort of the patience. Um, you know, they dominated the first half. Yes, it was, it, it was scoreless. But, you know, I think they had like 14 attempts to nil. Um, at the break and you just knew it was coming and that patience and that sort of Jorginho is is unflappable in that regard where he just continues and he'll he'll keep going through the process over and over again uh, and I think in a tournament like this where he's not going to be sort of rushed frequently as he would in club football um, that just really 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 suits him I mean it, it, again when, he, when they come up against France or Germany um, it might be a different story but in these sort of these games and I reckon against Wales and Switzerland as well um, you know it, it's really a, an opportunity for him to, to showcase what he is what he is exceptionally good at Let's move on to today two then. And Mark, watching on, knowing that Italy are in Group A with Wales, were you quaking in your boots or still full of excitement for Wales to get underway today against Switzerland? Um, a bit both, probably. Um, I think I think it might actually be good for Wales if Italy if Italy just steam away with the group and 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 you know go and go and beat Switzerland perhaps by a similar scoreline in the next game. Um, Wales, I think. I mean, the, the, like. Once the the kind of you know the excitement of being there has kind of died down, and you look at the actually how the tournament works, I think they've been a little bit stitched up in terms of how it's worked with in terms of being in Baku, effectively two away games because they'll play Turkey in Baku, and that's going to be a huge Turkish presence of that game, and then Italy and Rome in the last one. So probably this game is the best chance of a win. Um, I wouldn't say I'm overly confident they'll get one, but I think it's going to be a tight game. Um, Switzerland, we obviously we know we know a lot of their players. From, from over the years. They seem to have had the same team for the past few years, don't they? Um, it's it's going to be a game. I think I was actually looking at some of the images and pictures from it was five years ago. Yesterday was the first game for Wales at the Euros um, in 2016 against Slovakia. And I remember, I remember everyone going into that game and it very quickly went from, oh, it'd be nice to see him score a goal. You know, it'd be nice if he could score a goal. And then it went to, oh, we might get a point. And then, oh, hang on, we might get a win. And so it, it's probably going to be that over the course of, what is it now, five hours to kick up. It'll probably be that. From, and so, so so when the game kicks off, we're going to win 5-0. But 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 as, as of now, um, it's just, yeah, it's it's um, trying to... So long as we can have 11 players on the pitch. Yeah, but basically, <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, it's uh, it, 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 of course, it's, it's exciting. Look, I mean, you know, Wales Wales don't get, to, Wales didn't get to these things as far as, you know, when I, I 
grew up in North Wales with a family who were obsessed with Wales getting to tournaments and they, and they always fell short. You know, there was always so much heartbreak in terms of qualifying for things. So getting to two European championships in a row is a hell of an achievement. Now they're there, I think it's going to dawn it's going to dawn on this is a pretty difficult group they're in. Yeah, no, but I, I suppose, albeit take Mark's point of the effectively two away games to come, but it, it is also one of those as well, Alan, isn't it? The format of the tournament that there is no longer, or unlike the World Cup, that jeopardy of if you lose your first game, you have to then get maybe two wins to get through the group, knowing that sort of a number of the, the best third place sides go through. For example, Portugal, of course, won it last time, drawing all three of their group games. So it, it isn't quite that jeopardy that maybe there once was. Yeah, and I mean, I think overall, it's not a great format, is it? I know we were saying this, like, this, you know, five years ago, where you're losing eight of the of the twenty four teams before the uh, before the knockout stages, and I think, as someone who isn't, you know, you know, I, I don't have any stake in the Wales camp here, but I actually feel would be would feel a little bit more optimistic if we seen Turkey last night. I know, obviously, I, I actually hadn't considered the point about um, Turkey from the in Baku. And before Mark mentioned it, but you know, I wouldn't be as Wales. I wouldn't fear playing them. I don't think you know Switzerland. We know exactly what they're all about, and they've been you know in previous tournaments not exactly impressive. Um, and you know, there's so much focus on Bale. But I kind of look at some of the other players around him, and I, you know, you, you get the sneaky suspicion that they may still end up. Uh, surprising, not saying they're going to end up back in semi-final, but you know, in terms of progressing from the group, you know, I wouldn't. Confident is probably is probably the wrong word, but you know, I wouldn't be too surprised if, if they do progress. Um, you know, it, it will be interesting. I think a lot a lot does come down to today. If they if they avoid defeat, um, I think they're pretty pretty well set up. Yeah, no, and I suppose Mark, we say about Switzerland that we we feel as though it's been the same team for ages. The likes of Granite Xhaka and Jordan Shakiri, key players for them. But with Wales, the perception might be, oh, it's Bale and Ramsey as per. But there are a number of young players now who have started to be blooded in and coming through. And even even a player who's not so young, Kiefer Moore at the top end of the yeah. pitch, has kind of taken on that focal point role at the top end of the pitch. Like Wales didn't really have in Euro 2016. No, and it's oh, it's I mean, it's absolutely a a sort of more well-rounded, probably stronger squad on paper than the one from five years ago. Um, and you look at the younger players in the younger players, especially in attacking positions, like Dan James, who will trouble anyone on the break. Only uh, Harry Wilson's very good technical player who'll be a threat from sort of effort from distance. Kiefer Moore is an interesting one because I'm not 100 sure he'll start the game. The big the big debate in in Wales in the past sort of week or so has been. Do they go with a back three um, and basically play a false nine with with, with Bale up there and Ramsey and, and uh, so uh, Ramsey Wilson and uh, James kind of off him and then two in midfield or do they go with a back four and start with more up front? Um, so pre, probably be looking at dropping one of the centre backs, maybe Ethan Ampadu or someone like that. So um, Kiefer Moore is an interesting one. He might be someone they look to from the bench with maybe twenty to go if it you know but and uh, but. It's it's funny, honestly. The, the debate has been has been raging in terms of what they do. Wales look more likely to score, I think, when Kiefer Moore's on the pitch because he's such a handful. Um, but you've also got you know the idea that maybe some of these centre backs don't mind playing against a player like him. Whereas you know if you've got Bale up there and you've got Dan James running at you, they don't necessarily like you know that sort of way of playing. So 
I think he'll go with uh, with with the false nine with Bale up there. Um, but you'll definitely see Kiefer Moore at some point in the game. Yeah, I find I find the Wales composition of the squad they've got there, Alan, quite interesting in terms of I think for a number of the individuals they'll be hoping for big tournaments. Someone like Harry Wilson who may be leaving. Liverpool, Ethan Ampadu, obviously coming back from Sheffield United, will want to prove that maybe he can be up to the level that Chelsea require. And Mark's also mentioned Nico Williams, a young fullback who's not had much game time, but it feels as though they are a collection of young individuals who really want to sort of hammer home their point that they do belong at this level. Yeah, and I think Dan James as well, it seems pretty pretty interesting to me because, I mean, we're speaking about Jorginho's lack of pace and how that suits international football, but having that raw acceleration, um, if they're in a if they're in a game where you know counter attacking is their best chance of of scoring, um, you know, remember there was that famous uh, goal at Swansea a couple of years back in the in the FA Cup, I think, wasn't it? Um, you know, you can easily envisage a situation like that developing if they're up against a team who are pushing forward. Switzerland may not be kind of you know. In terms of their style, they might may not be the kind of the ones that, you know, committing lots of bodies forward um, today. But you know, in a in the other games, especially because Turkey will now be pacing results, you know, you, you could see a situation developing where Dan James has acres of space in front of him. Um, then you look at the of Ampadu. I think Ampadu is, is quite interesting as well because Chelsea they have really really high hopes that he is going to be able to to make the breakthrough there. Um, I know he's obviously had a difficult campaign um, on loan at Sheffield United. That was more down to the club's position than him. Um, you know, there was quite a lot of praise um, regarding his, his individual performances and his, his flexibility as well, his ability to play in defence as well as all midfield um, means, you know, at Chelsea, they do feel he, he is one of the next group to. Uh, to break in and make a real impact. So I think you know, the next few weeks, if he's if he's able to put in a couple of decent performances, um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a, a pretty a big tournament for him, among others. Uh, you know, Williams you'd probably say pretty pretty simple as well. Yeah, just stay with you, Alan. A word on the opposition on Switzerland and one of their main men, Granite Xhaka, referenced him before. Rumours linking with him with a, a move away from. Arsenal and maybe teaming up with Jose Mourinho of all people at Roma. How far down the the line are we with, with that one? That one expected to happen. Uh, so, or Arsenal correspondent at Football London, um, Chris Wheatley, uh, has pretty much said it's done. Um, just a case of sort of taking off, uh, dotting eyes and crossing T's. Um, I think at Arsenal, without sort of delving too far away from from international football, at Arsenal, you know, it's going to be somewhere of not so much upheaval but you know there is going to be a lot of transition um and uh, he is clearly one of the players who <laughs> they've been looking to move on for a little bit of time um, partly because of the relationship with supporters etc so yeah, i don't think he's going to be um he's not going to be an arsenal player next season i'm not too sure when that deal is going to be confirmed because of the players are <laughs> they're at the european championship um i think transfers a take a back seat. Yes, there'll be negotiations going on behind the scenes, but in terms of actually stuff being confirmed, and I know that Southgate has spoken a bit, a bit about this um, in the past couple of weeks as well, I think it'll be after the tournament before we get you know confirmation of, the, of these deals actually happen.
away from then Wales and Switzerland that the the second game in Group A. Group B also going to be getting underway today. Denmark v Finland at five o'clock and Belgium v Russia at eight. The Wales game, incidentally, as we said before, two o'clock. Mark, looking at that kind of group and I suppose looking at Belgium as well, they're a side who we've sort of on the international scene been talking up for a good six or seven years now, expecting them to go deep in a tournament. Of course, Wales put pay to that in 2016, I'm sure you'll need no reminding. But I suppose this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be. A yeah, I think um, they were very, very angry with themselves after that Wales game, weren't they? Because it was all set up for them. They take the lead with a with a brilliant goal from from Nangalan, which I've seen many times because I like watching the other three that come after it. But um, no, he uh, so they um, they real said they really sensed that was their that was their sort of moment. And so now five years on, a few of those players are older. Obviously, there's there's, you know, some new exciting players in the squad, the likes of the young lad, uh, Doku, who I know a lot of people have spoken about before the tournament. Um, this group looks simple for them, you'd say. Um, I don't think they'll have much trouble with, with with anyone in it. But you sort of sense that they need to perform well to convince themselves throughout the group that, you know, I don't think they, they want to be squeezing through this and, you know, by, kind of by the skin of their teeth. I think they, they need to build momentum. Um, they've, got, they've got some... Absolutely wonderful players. Um, I think Lukaku potentially might have a, a sniff of a golden boot in this tournament purely because this group looks looks very winnable to them, and I can see him getting a few goals in it. Um, in terms of you know, once they get through that and they carry on, I mean, they're going to have that same concern probably that they had against Wales, but maybe you know, maybe playing the, the bigger nations is is what they need. Maybe you know, maybe maybe kind of. Taking, taking on board the kind of mantle of, of underdogs, you know, if they were to come up against a France or a Germany or someone like that. So um, everyone always talks them up before every tournament, don't they? And, and it, you feel as though it has to come probably in this one um, if they are going to fulfil their potential. I don't see them as winners just yet, but then I didn't see Italy as winners until last night and now I do. So, you know, it's um, it's everything changes in this tournament, don't it? And, and that's, that's the great thing about it, isn't it? So, um I'd be interested to see them. I will be interested to see them. Um, and it's one of those situations, as Alan said earlier, about the sort of international managers where it's not necessarily... International football isn't necessarily the kind of playground for the great managers anymore, is it? And 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 you just got that concern about someone like Martinez. Um, but if he can get them going, then they've got every chance. Yeah, what do you reckon of Belgium's chances, Alan? As you said, they've got a number of obviously current and former Premier League stars in that side, and they they are used to winning things at club level, but doesn't seem to have translated as a team. And I suppose a lot of it depends on Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, and I mean, after that injury from the Champions League final, I know he's been optimistic and positive about it, but you know that was a pretty nasty injury, and I wonder if the, the after effect. But that may you know may still be lingering um over the next few days but you know i, I agree that it, this is probably the last chance um, for them and i think because they've been built up as this golden generation um a phrase which you know everyone kind of considered you know draws back to previous england teams or whatever um how we reflect on this team you know say 10 years from now when different Belgian side and put in trade that you know I feel like unless they win something it'll be looked at as you know, hugely underwhelming just because of the talent 
that they have. Um, I agree with Mark. I think this, you know, the group is pretty easy for them, um, and that could be a blessing or a curse. If they go out and win the next three games pretty easily, does that build a, you know, does it build momentum, or does it give them a false sense of sort of comfort where they end up in a situation where the first, you know, big team that they face in the knockout stages exploit that and um, you know there's no way of finding that out until, until we have to reach that stage but yeah I, they're obviously you know among alongside sort of france and uh, um, i think portugal as well um, in terms of talent across the squad um, i would i would rank them as the top three before we before we watch any of those teams um, but yeah i'd get like mark i don't I still don't actually see winning it um, just because of the history and you know we've seen in the past couple of tournaments, that sort of fragility in terms of the psychology when that when it gets to that crunch time. Yeah, no, definitely. Just a final word before we wrap up. Then uh, another transfer line. We spoke about Arsenal already, Alan, but one emerging overnight, even from the England camp, Ben White of Brighton being linked again with Arsenal, and it does feel as though throughout the course of the tournament, as you say, might be difficult for negotiations and confirmation to get done, but there will be plenty of eyeballs on the tournament, on players, and sort of talks going on here and there. Yeah, so when Southgate uh, confirmed, I think it was the when he named the provisional squad, uh, which is, what, about two weeks ago, um, he, was asked, he was asked specifically about Harry Kane's situation. Um, and obviously he wouldn't comment on Kane individually, but he spoke more generally that where when they come to, say, qualifiers in the past or friendlies, they've, they've been willing to, to allow players kind of to have a medical at their new clubs. You know, it, it largely it becomes a case of the club's medical staff coming to the England camp to do that medical. Um, but in a tournament situation, that's not going to happen. Um, so in that regard, I, you know, we're not going to see any of those moves Um actually happening between now and the and the end of the tournament. Um in terms of Arsenal and White, um I read the, the stories obviously that were doing the rounds last night as well. It, it was notable that you know there hasn't been any as of last night there wasn't any formal contact between the clubs. It was merely based on Arsenal planning to do something. Um and you know it, it, it is pretty clear that they need to the strengthen in defence. David Louise is, is among those who, who we're leaving the club this summer. Um and White, you know, as a fit seems a seems a pretty good one. Um but again, because of Brighton's financial position, I don't think they're gonna you know, they're not gonna be letting any player go uh, cheaply. You know, they're not gonna be desperate to sell to sell any of their players really. Uh, and I know White being now being an England international and that always places a bit of a premium on a transfer fee as well. Um and we've heard about Arsenal's own financial sort of you know, the lack of ability to spend big. So I'm curious to see what direction that ends up going um, in terms of the money. It's not he's not going to be cheap. Um, and I think already, even though you know this time last week he wasn't in the England squad. And I think some people are now arguing, albeit on the back of a of a friendly against pretty average opposition, um, that you know he may actually deserve to start in this, in this point, which I don't, you know, that's not going to happen, but I can see why some people also feel that way, because um, he is, he, just, he, he looks like a really good player um, with a lot of development still, still to come. Yeah, definitely. It's part of the drama of it all, isn't it, Mark? The the transfer rumours rumbling on in the background, yeah, as well as and the it, football going on on the It pitch. always happens, doesn't it, around every tournament, and there always seems to be 
many players. And, and as, as, as Alan says about Kane, that was obviously going to be the one that, that everyone was going to be looking for. I can imagine before every single England game, he's going to be sitting in front of the press and he's going to say, I'm focusing on the game. I'm not talking about the future, all that sort all the same old lines. Um, for Ben White, I mean, it, it, it does strike me as a little bit, um, I mean, Arsenal, I mean, clubs like Brighton don't need to sell these players anymore, do they? You know, and that's the I think that's the big difference between I'd say the Premier League now and maybe ten years ago, possibly even less. When you know, I'd say ten years ago, Arsenal come in for Brighton's best defender and he goes. Um, I think these days, you know, the, the amount of money involved with the, that these clubs have, they don't need to sell these players. I mean, I was looking at rumours linking uh, Yuri Tielemans with a move from Leicester, and you're thinking like, well, Leicester's not going to let him go. You know, and and uh, they're going and I'd imagine Brighton will quote Arsenal 40, 50 million. And if and if you're Arsenal, then you know, can you spend that money better elsewhere? Um, there's no doubt Arsenal need a centre back, probably two, maybe three. And yeah, White White's a very good defender. He's he's uh, he was obviously excellent at Leeds on loan, wasn't he? And I know Leeds were desperate to get him back for last season. It's one to watch. Obviously, I obviously nothing's going to probably happen with it until the end of the tournament. Same with. Same with Granit Xhaka, who, you know, again, we've sort of felt he's putting it to leave Arsenal for the past couple of years. So it's, it feels like a big summer for Arsenal, big summer for Arteta, really. Um, they need a big overhaul. I just, uh, I'm just not entirely certain 40 million, 50 million on Brighton centre-back is the best way to go about it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that's it then for the second edition of Euro's Digest here on the Football Digest feed. From myself, Kai Clark, Mark Jones and Alan Smith, thanks for your time and your company. Bye.